Amen. <clears throat> now, like I uh, mentioned, when, when stuff goes wrong, and it seems like every time you turn around, stuff goes wrong, doesn't it? I meant you think, I'm, I'm having a good day, but I'm not going to mention it because it'll get messed up. Some jerk will come around and mess it up for you, right? Unless you're home, and then I'm Randy's jerk sometimes. You didn't hear that say, man, it gave him way, way, way latitude there. Well, when our kids were little, we used to take them swimming all the time. And they couldn't swim. Of course, kids aren't born able to swim. Of course, when I was a little girl, we had this uh, civic center that we went to, and the people that owned it, they had this kid that was like six months old. And it was swimming, all, the kid was swimming all by itself at six months old. So, you know, the problem is we grow up, and then we kind of have this fear of uh, doing things that we haven't done before. So I guess it's kind of good that if your kids are small, you get them in the water and they learn how to swim easier. But anyway, when they were little, they didn't know how to swim, and they were kind of afraid of water if it went over their heads. And the only way to teach kids uh, to overcome their fears is encourage them to do that. So we'd be in the pool. Of course, we could stand on it, but they couldn't because they were too little. And tell them, come on, come on, jump in, jump in, jump in. And they'd stand there and go, no, no, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. Well, I'll catch you. I'll catch you. And they'd say, oh, no, 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 I can't, I can't, I can't. It's too deep. It's too deep. And just sit there and do that. You do that? Has any of you ever done that with your kids? And finally, we'd get them to jump in, and we'd catch them. And uh, that helped them overcome their fear of water, because then from then, then of course, we could teach them how to swim. And... Uh, Kids will, like I said, that, that's a natural fear. And we all have natural fears in our life, don't we? And uh, our kids trusted us because they would know, they knew instinctively that we would catch them. We wouldn't pull a trick on them like Lucy in the football. Come on, Charlie Brown, I'll hold it for you. And when they get there, that, uh, they move it. So they knew that we wouldn't do that. So they had a confidence and knew that they could trust us, even though they were afraid. I remember a few years ago there was this TV show. I, now, I hate reality shows, and I hate singing shows. But they had this one reality show on called uh, The Great American Dog. Anybody happen to see it? It was only on one season, but it was really, really good, and I liked it. That's why they took it off, because I liked it. They found out. Anyway, in this one instance of the things that these dogs had to do. Now, these were ordinary dogs. They weren't dogs that had formal training or anything, and uh, they had to get these dogs to do things that they were inherently would not do, but they had to trust their owners. Well, one of the things they had to do was they put them up in a harness about 10 feet above their owner, and their owner would be down there encouraging them to jump. And I was amazed that every single one of those dogs jumped off that thing into their owner's arms. I was just amazed about that because can you imagine that? Another thing that they did was they took the, the dog's favorite toy and they put it under an elephant. Now, I'm talking a full-grown, live elephant. You know, and they go with their horns and stuff, make that noise. And they put their favorite toy under the elephant and told the dog to go get it. And they said, go get it, go get your toy, go get your toy. And the dogs went and got it. And I was just amazed. Because dogs have an in inherent trust in their owners. Now, I know we have bad owners and things like that, but basically, they... Even though they were afraid, they had a faith and a confidence in their owners because they knew them. Our kids trusted us because they knew us. 
And we trust people when we get to know them. And we can trust God when we get to know him. But that's the only way we can trust God. I mean, we hear all these things about God, but until we know him, it's hard for us to trust him, isn't it? And even when we do know him, there's some things that we have a hard time trusting God for. And, uh, and if I asked each one of you this morning, can you be trusted, hopefully you'd say yes. You'd reason, well, I'm a good person. I work hard. I'm honest. So yeah, I can be trusted. But now if I asked you, can God trust you? Now that'd be a little more difficult, wouldn't it? It'd be harder for us to, to figure out. So in every problem that we have, remember, is a spiritual attack. So if we trust, ask if we can trust God, it's a little more difficult. Can God trust us when we're under attack? Can God trust us when, when all hell break, is breaking loose around us? Can God trust us when Satan shoots a fiery dart at our family? Can God trust us when the bank says the check bounced? Can God trust us when the boss doubles our work and not our pay? Or even we lose our job. Can we trust God? Those are hard things for us to trust God over. And can God trust us when we're going through those situations? We'd sit there, and if we, if we thought about each one of those circumstances, we'd like to think, yeah, God can trust me. I believe I would make it. And then we end up there. And then we find out. I don't like to find out those things. <laughs> but inherently, we will. Now, when we're under attack, we have to realize that it's Satan that is pulling the rug out from underneath us. Sometimes when things go on, we like blame others, don't we? We'd like to blame everybody else for our problems. But we don't realize that it's Satan is the one that's responsible. Not personally Satan, but his demons and his imps and whatever else. Because most of us aren't important enough to Satan to take us on one-on-one. -on -one. So, but he's got a lot of help to do that. And he has too much help, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Now, if we're having problems, it isn't our family, our friends, our boss, or co-workers. It's Satan. Now, I don't, we don't like to admit it, but sometimes Satan uses us to get at other people. And sometimes it's our family, isn't it? <laughs> now, we don't like to admit to, that he uses us, but he does. More often than I'd like to admit, but he does. So that you give Satan an inch, he'll take a mile. And so we need to be very aware of that. Now, we may have a bad day over in pain, and we come home and we take it out on the ones we love the most, our family. Or the dog. Come in, the dog's all over you, get out of here. Kick the kids or kick the dog or whatever. Hopefully we don't do that, but we do have a tendency to take it out on our loved ones. Because I don't know whether it's we have a confidence that they will forgive us, but we shouldn't have to. We shouldn't have to to expect our loved ones to forgive us. We need to realize when we're having a bad day or things are going wrong, that it's Satan. And if we yield to what he's doing in our life and take it out on our loved ones, it not only hurts them, it hurts us. Because every attack we have 
is spiritual. Every single one. And Satan don't like us. And I'm glad he doesn't like me. Aren't you? Like I said, we want to say, as soon as we get up, and our feet hit the ground, we want all hell to say, oh no, they're up. We want Satan to be afraid of us. That's what I want. I want him to be terrified of me. And I don't want to be used by him because it hurts, like I said, it hurts other people, but mostly it hurts us. Because even though you apologize for your behavior, it still leaves a scar. No matter what we hurt, it leaves a scar. I got scars all over my body. I'm not going to show them here, show them to you. <laughs> but we all have scars in our life. Now, the physical scars that we have, I'm going to get this off tomorrow, hopefully, um, are easier to recover from than the spiritual scars. When we're wounded in our spirit, those are extra hard to get over. When we cause pain to our loved ones, we're scarring them. When we cause problems to our kids, we're scarring them. And they may want to grow up and get just as far away from us as they can get because of those wounds that we've caused, not on purpose, and sometimes we don't even know we're doing it. But it's all because of the problems that we're going through, and we're under attack, and so we attack. Hurting people hurt people. That's the reality of life. And so when we're hurting, we have to be extra careful and be aware of the things that we say and how we say them. And it's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. If it was easy, we'd do it. But it's hard. And the more pain you have and the more bad days you have, the harder it is. But if we didn't respond that way, maybe we wouldn't have so many bad days. Because if the devil can use something against you, he's going to. Because he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows our strengths and he knows our weakness. That's why God says, in our weakness, he is our strength. Because when we, when we, in our strength, we say, oh God, I don't need you, I got this one. Don't we? But we need to trust God in our, with our strengths too, and our weakness. But our weakness is the things that Satan attacks most. And it's the things that we have to be more aware of. Uh, otherwise, we are going to take things out on our families. Uh, let's see. John 16, b In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now God is letting us know that everybody is going to have problems. I don't care who you are, what your background is, you have problems. And if you're either going through a trial, coming out of a trial, or getting ready to go into a trial, that's it, that's the reality of life. And we all have problems and things that we go through. And we have to realize, that's why reading God's word is so important. Because God wants us to understand and know that we're going to have problems. Now, he didn't say, life is going to be better roses. You're never going to have a problem. But some preachers preach that, don't they? Oh, come to our church, join our church. Oh, man, and you'll never have a problem again. They're liars. That isn't God's word. God says, in this life, we're going to have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Take heart. That means be encouraged. Now, we know when we become Christians as believers that Christ comes to live inside each one of us through his Holy Spirit. So, in essence, the overcomer 
is living inside of us. So we can be overcomers. But the problem is we don't let Jesus come through us, work through us, through his power of his Holy Spirit, to overcome. So we're done over. One or the other. We're either going to be an overcomer or we're going to be one that's going to be failure and everybody's going to walk all over us. And that's going to be Satan. He's going to walk all over us. Now the apostles had to learn how to overcome problems. It didn't just happen. They had to learn how to overcome problems. And they did it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Of course, they spent three and a half years with Christ and his teaching. But hearing stuff alone doesn't do it. We have to have Christ inside of us through his Holy Spirit. That's where the strength comes from. It's from within. And if we don't have Christ, we're just going to be a ping pong ball on the ping pong table of life. Going from here and there and here and there. And that isn't the way I want to live my life. And I know you don't want to either. So we can learn to be an overcomer because the overcomer lives within us. 1 John 4, 4b. Because the one who is greater, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. That's why I like that song we sang this morning. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's right out of the Bible. We were talking about that on Wednesday. And Susie and I, we were singing the song. <laughs> because we knew it. And that's the reality of it. That's why it's so important to read God's word. So we know what's in there. And once we realize that greater is Christ who is in us than he that is in the world. There's not a, a devil or any problem in this world we can't overcome. Through Christ's power. But the problem is we have to let him. <clears throat> now we can't sing, woe is me, and expect to be victorious. Now if you talk to people that are having a bad day, and maybe that's you. We sit there and we focus so much on our problems. We say, woe is me, I'm lost and I'm undone. Woe is me, I'm having a bad day. Woe is me, I fell and broke my hand. And it hurts. Woe is me. We're never going to be victorious when we just sing, woe is me. And we concentrate on our problems instead of concentrating on the problem solver. So if you're going down the tubes this morning, quit concentrating on your problems. Now, God trusted the apostles when the, they faced the storms of life. But can he trust us when we face our storms of life? Can God trust us to stand and fight or cut and run? Will we just watch or will we take action? See, it's up to us. We have the power. In the name of Jesus, we're the ones that have the power. This world doesn't have the power. There isn't anybody you know that has power over you. No one. No situation, no devil, no nothing. And that's why God gave us his word. He gave us his word so we'd be able to know that we can be overcomers and that he is greater than any problem or anything we're going, to, going through. And the Bible's filled with stories about Job, David, Paul, Peter, and many, many others. And we read them. If you read God's words, you read about them. There are people that are very familiar and others that aren't. But they're very important. Otherwise, God wouldn't have included them. 
Now, were these guys perfect? No, they weren't. But see, God didn't uh, print just all the good stuff they did. He printed the bad stuff, too. He printed their failures so we could know that we, are, we can fail, too, and it's okay. That isn't a problem. God didn't call us, well, he calls us to be like him and be perfect as he is imperfect or be complete in him. But none of us are going to be perfect. I don't care. No one. There's no one that you know or ever met or will ever meet that's perfect. They all have problems. They all have failures. And if you talk to them and you get them to talk about their failures, they can probably have them listed. We try not to concentrate on those, but that's the reality of life. And God includes everything. <clears throat> but the secret is when we fail, we just got to get up one more time than we fall down. That's the secret. You want to know the secret of living for Christ? That's it. Get up one more time and you fall down. Yeah. Job 1, 8 to 12. The Lord, then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one in all the earth like him. He is blameless and upright. Man, how would you like God to say that about you? I don't, well, the only way I can say it now is because I am blameless and upright through Christ. <laughs> Have you not, uh, let's see, upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Well, there's a secret. God could brag on him because he fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Now God's the one who gave Satan permission to test Job. Now, we can't go through a test in this life, I don't care how minor or how big it is, without God allowing it. So God knows and has a confidence in you that you're going to make it if we don't give up. Now, basically, God sick Satan on Job. He was bragging about him, how good he was, because he knew Job. He was an upright man in his age. Now, Job is the oldest book in the Bible. They believe that uh, it was a pre-flood book. So Job would have known Noah and a lot of people, because remember, they lived a lot longer then than they do now. When you live 975 years or whatever, you're going to meet a lot of people. So anyway, he lived a long time. And uh, Job lost 7,000 sheep, 3,000 ca camels, 500 ox, oxen, 500 she-asses, and all his servants, and he lost all of his children, every single one of them. Wow! That, that's a harsh, harsh loss. And yet God did not, Job did not curse God. He did not desert God. Now that, I'm not kidding you. I don't know anyone in here that could probably survive losing all your kids and everything you have within a short period of time. And then he lost his health, too. 
because Satan was bound and determined to show God that Job would curse him to his face. The only thing that Satan didn't take from Job was his wife. And that's probably the one thing he should have took. Because all she did was nag him about everything that she lost. And she told him to curse God and die. Because she was mad. I would be mad too. I'd be upset if I lost all my kids. At one time. Now I know that we as parents, no parents should outlive their kids. That's kind of an unwritten law that we have as parents. None of us want to bury a child. It's the hardest thing for any parent to do, no matter what the age. It's hard. My mother and dad buried my brother, my oldest brother, and it was hard. I had nightmares about it because I was in junior high when he died. And I had dreams that I'd go down to the cemetery every night and get him out of his grave. And we'd go do stuff, but he had to eat nails and stuff because he was dead. <laughs> don't, I don't know, I have no idea about it, but those were the kind of things that I went through during when he died. It was such a traumatic effect on our family. Of course, we weren't Christians at the time. And my parents, they had a hard time dealing with it. And I think that's what was kind of the beginning of the end of the marriage. How many people do, have we heard about or maybe even know that when they lose a child, they end up getting divorced? Because the, the power or the loss of that is too much stress on a family. Things that happen in our life will either draw you closer together or they will separate you. God wants you to draw closer when things happen, not scatter. But I can't even imagine what this guy went through. Uh, Job 42.12. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 15,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. God doubled everything that he had lost. Of course, you can't replace your kids. But he gave him more kids. And I'd hate to have been the wife to have those seven kids. <laughs> seven sons and three daughters. Ten kids when you're old? No, thank you. <laughs> there, ain't a, there ain't enough money. Yeah, yeah, she deserves it for... <laughs> yeah, she deserved it for telling him to die. But I can't even imagine. There's no way in the world. I don't care if they gave me a million dollars to have a baby. I would not. <laughs> I'll tell you what, you can have it. <laughs> it's hard, isn't it, ladies, having kids? It's, it's really hard. It's, not, it's easier now than it used to be. I mean, Pam knows all about that. She lost a granddaughter giving birth. That's a hard thing to, to do, but it still happens today, even with all our technology and all our knowledge. So, but uh, it's hard. <clears throat> so God knew he could trust Job even though he lost everything. First <clears throat> uh, Corinthians 10, 12 to 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. No matter what we're going through, God is going to pro provide a way out. 
The problem is we give up before we get the answer. We don't trust God enough. We ha- God allows things to happen in our life, not so he can fail, but so we can succeed. We get stronger through tests. Weightlifters don't get stronger by lifting five-pound weights. They start there with little things, and then next thing you know, they're lifting 200 pounds or whatever. But they didn't get there overnight. And that's the same, th- same way with us. When you're, if you're going through something, it's because God can trust you. He wants to make you stronger. We just have to survive it. And it's hard to survive some things, isn't it? If it was easy, everyone would do it. 2 Kings 5, verse 1. Now Naaman was a commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Jumping down to verse 9. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elijah's house. Elijah sent a messenger to him to go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. In verse 14, so he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Now he didn't like these instructions from, from Elijah. Didn't like them at all. He told him, why do I have to go there and dip myself in that dirty Jordan River? Now, it wasn't clean like it is now. That was a sewer system. Now, how would you like to go take a bath in a sewer? There's so many settling ponds over here. Of course, it probably wasn't that bad, but in essence, it was a filthy, it wasn't a clean river. And he said, aren't there other rivers I can go? And his servant girl said, if he asked you to do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it? And he finally realized, well, hey, man, what's the big deal? What have I got to lose? So he's over there, and he's dumping himself one time, twice, three times. And he's probably getting, man, this is ridiculous. This is stupid. Nothing's happening to me. But he went through, and after the seventh time, his leprosy was gone. And he had young skin. Man, I'd like to do that, get young skin again. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? No wrinkles, no sags. Not when you lean over and your, your cheeks hit you in the eyeball. <laughs> but if he, if he had quit at any time, he wouldn't have got what he was asking for, would he? And see, the problem, God has an answer for us, but we just have to stick it out. Now, I don't know how long that sticking it out is going to be. But all I know is that if you get up, you'll ne- if you give up, you're never going to get it. You'll remain living a life of failure, or you can live victorious. The choice is ours. We just have to keep on keeping on. <clears throat> so what do we do when we're stressed out, stressed out, and worn out? Will we cut and run? Will we stand when we lose everything? Or if we lose a loved one, will we still trust God? Can God trust us? Ecclesiastes 8, 1 to 8. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, 
a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. There's a time for everything in our life, and everyone is going to go through certain problems. Everybody is going to go some of, through some of the similar problems. Every one of us will. <clears throat> now, like I said before, life isn't a bed of roses. But if we look at our life and look at the problems that we're going through, if we're honest with ourselves and look back on our life and the choices that were made, that we made, we're going to know why we're, we are where we are. Because each one of us are, are we're here where we are, it, both spiritually, physically, and everything else, because of the choices we made. Every one of us are here. Some of the good choices we made, some bad choices. But they contribute to who we are. I have a twin sister. We were raised in the same house. And yet we're so different. She's had a, I would say a rougher, I would say a rougher life because I've had more surgeries than she has, but she's had a rougher life, but she's made different choices than I made. But we all are all where we are because of the choices that we made. And sometimes those bad choices are still lingering in our life. <clears throat> sometimes uh, people, because of the problems that they have, um, they don't know how to deal with it. That's why uh, these anxiety drugs and, and depression drugs are so popular. They're, the, the companies make billions of dollars every year on these drugs because they can't cope with life. Now, there are some that have legitimate reasons to take stuff. Their DNA is screwed up, and they're missing stuff in their, in their DNA. But a lot of people, it's because of the problems in their life, and they don't know how to deal with them. So they get anxious, and they get depressed, and their whole life is screwed up. They live beyond their means, people do, especially today. Man, you get a credit card, man, they've got them maxed to the hilt, so they've got to get a new card, and it's maxed out, and they're a new one. And people are so far in debt, they can't even breathe. And because of that, they get depressed. And they get anxious. How am I going to pay my bills? Bill collectors are calling. What am I going to do? That's a hard situation. But they got there through the choices that they made. And because of the choices they made, they're depressed and they're anxious. And so I think that if a lot of people could actually trust God with their problems and situations, they could probably get off some of these drugs. I know a lot of people who have. But like I said, except for those exceptions, and of course God can heal anybody of anything, but there are people that take certain drugs. I take things because I have severe neuropathies in my feet. My nerves are so sensitive, I can't even, if I stepped on a piece of cardboard barefooted, it'd be like step, stepping on a rock, sharp rock, because my feet are so sensitive. So I take drugs to desensitize the nerves in my body. And among other, some other things that I have to take. But do I want to take them? No, I don't want to take anything. But sometimes we do. Now we can sit back and blame God and say, you know God, you let me down. Oh man, 
I don't want to take these things. It's your fault that I'm going through this. It isn't God's fault. It's the fault of a fallen world we live in. And if every generation served God for four generations, we'd, practically, we'd eliminate birth defects. Everybody would be healthy. But we won't do that. Man, I want that extra piece of pie. And cake. And candy. If I didn't eat that stuff, man, I'd probably be a lot healthier. <laughs> but if they did that for four generations, everybody in the whole world would practically eradicate birth defects. And that was uh, from an article in some magazine I, or whatever about 50 years ago. So <clears throat> a lot of times we have situations in our life because things that we've done. Now I got these neuropathies in my feet because I, I worked a hard job and I had to walk on cement floors and steel-toed boots. And I don't have any fat in my feet. The only place I don't have any fat is in my feet. I want fat feet. <laughs> and the doctor said it's like walking on my knuckles because there's no fat under there. And that's what caused it. But doesn't matter. It's still, that's how I got there. If I'd been born rich, I wouldn't have to work. That's why. God's fault, right? We love to blame God, don't we? Now, some women, they have abortions, and then it haunts them for the rest of their life. Not all of them, but some of them it does. And we don't hear about them. We don't hear about the medical problems that come from women having abortions. We don't hear that. Because it isn't something they want to promote. Because they want people to kill babies. And that just irritates me. Of course, I tell people, you know, it's the liberals that, want, that, are, that are promoting it the most, and they're killing the most liberal voters. Because that's the generate, you know, those people... The ones that aren't conservatives are the ones that believe in abortion. Conservatives don't believe in abortion. So basically, we're killing non-conservatives. But they, they, they can't even see that. Man, we had more, more Democrats voting, we'd win. Well, you're killing them all. So anyway, but there's a lot of things that happen because of that. There are some things we can do when we're in a battle. Hebrews 10.25. There's going to be a test later. Okay. Not giving up, meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and, and all the more as you see the day approaching. One of the first things people do when they're going through a problem is quit coming to church. And that's so crazy. And, of course, that's what the devil wants us to do because if we come to church when we're, we're having a problem, the people can pray with us, and we're a family, we can support each other and encourage each other. And I guarantee you that if you're going through a problem, someone in this congregation has already went through it. Probably me. <laughs> so when we quit coming to church, we're cutting off our nose to spite our face. But that's what we do. That's what the devil pushes us to do. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12. Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls, and no one can help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. 
a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We need each other. You know, I, I laugh at that commercial that they have out that says, help, I've fallen and I can't get up. You seen it? You know, I laugh at it and it's funny, but you know, if it happens to you, it's not funny. I know not uh, oh, a couple years ago, and Sunday morning, I was out on, outside in the backyard doing something, I don't remember what, for church, and the dog come running out there and tripped and I fell, and I could not get up. And I'm sitting there hollering at Randy, and he doesn't know where it is. Finally, I crawl over there on rocks, on my knees, my, with metal in my knees, <laughs> and finally got up. See, we, God wants us to help each other. When we're together, you can fight easier, you know, back to back. You know, I'll fight, take care of this side, you take care of that side. But if we don't have anybody to cover our back, of course, God is our backside. I understand that. But we need people. We need each other to help each other get up. That's why a family's not easily broken. If you're out there by yourself, the devil will attack you. Who do wolves attack? It isn't the strong, it's the stragglers. It's the ones that look away from the herd. That's the ones the wolves get. So if you get out there, the wolves are going to attack you. In more cases than not, they'll destroy you. That's why it's important to come to church, especially if you're having a problem. When Rudolph, the 20th, Rudolph, 20th of the 22 children, was born prematurely and not expected to live. Four years at four years old, past four years old, she had double pneumonia and scarlet fever. Her legs were paralyzed. At nine years old, she removed her metal braces and began walking. Thirteen years old, she started running, but she came in last in every lace. That woman kept uh, on running, allowing her faith to take her somewhere. The girl that was not supposed to live and certainly not walk, but she won three gold medals in the Olympics. The only one that is stopping us is us. That's it. We are our worst enemy because we spend all day and all night with ourselves. And we are the worst company sometimes, aren't we? When, I'm, when we're by ourselves, all we can think about is our failures and everything we've done wrong. And the more we do it, the worse we feel. And the more the devil will bring up more things and more things. And that's not a good, a good solution to our problems. The second thing we, we can do when facing problems is pray. And that's another one of the things we quit doing when we're going through a problem. We're so mad at God that we're going through this, that we're not even going to talk to him. Now, we've seen husbands and wives that get mad at each other. They slam doors and yell at each other, and, and then they don't talk to each other for a week. By the end of the week, they don't even remember what they were fighting about. Those, those uh, are the ones that invented the back-to-back -back theology. I'm mad at you. I'm not looking at you. Now, the married people know, know what I'm talking about. But in the Old Testament, when people uh, had something go wrong in their lives, they tore their clothes. And then they fell on their face before God. And just poured their hearts out to God. 
See, God's waiting for us to come to him when under attack. He's waiting for us to do it. He doesn't want us running away from him. He wants us to come to him. Because when we do, we will gain our strength. Psalms 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. We don't have to tear our clothes when we have a problem. I'm glad because I'd run out of clothes. Besides that, I don't think I could tear them. But God wants us to come to him. Now, when our kids were little, I know it's the same for you, when they got hurt or something, they would come running in crying, and they'd climb up in your lap, and they'd tell you all about it, you know, and you'd tell them everything's going to be okay, and, you know, you'd kiss their boo-boos for them. That's what we did when our kids were little. And it's amazing how that worked. I got hurt my finger, kiss it. Okay, that's magic medicine. When you get older, they don't even want you kissing them at all. <laughs> don't you dare kiss me when you drop me off at school. People will see. So if you want to embarrass your kids' parents and you're mad at them, just take them to school and kiss them goodbye. See, but that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to crawl up into his lap when we're having a problem. And he wants to heal our boo-boos. Now, our boo-boos, as we get older, are a little bit, a little different than they were when we were little kids. I wish those were the only kind of boo-boos we had to deal with. But the reality of life is it isn't. We have heart-wrenching things we go through, as, especially in this world, this fallen world, and it seems like it's getting worse every day, isn't it? We need to keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. Don't stop talking to God. Because that kind of, you'll lose your relationship. If you don't talk to your spouse, you'll lose the relationship. If you don't talk to your kids, you'll lose the relationship. That's the only way you build on it, is you get to know each other. And they learn to trust you. And that's the only way we're going to learn to trust God, by reading his word, talking to him, and listening. We don't like to listen. We like to say, our Father who's in heaven, okay, I'm done. That's my prayer for the day. And run off. But when we don't give God time to talk to us, we miss out. We have to be silent before God. And that's especially hard for us women, isn't it? We've got to get our 25,000 words in. Randy hates those 25,000 words because I'm not at work to use them anymore. <laughs> but it's hard for us to do that. But if we want to get through it, through it, that's the only way that we're going to do it. The third thing we can do when under attack is remember God never fails and he's in control. Amen. And when we go anywhere, of course, I hate driving. I didn't when I just got my license, though. I don't know what happened to that person, but I hate driving now. <laughs> and he drives, and I don't ever worry about getting where we're going because he's driving. And if he doesn't know where he's going, he will actually look at a map. Well, God is in control of our lives, and he gave us a map. This map will help you more than we ever know. But see, we have to read it. And reading it takes time. After all, you know, the Big Bang Theory's on this week, you know, and I don't have time to talk to God because I've got to watch that and listen to that song about evolution before I watch it. I fast forward it past that part. We're never going to 
get through a problem with victory if we give up and we don't let God work it out. <coughs> uh, the fourth thing we can do when under attack is praise him. Psalms 34, 1 to 3. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I've said many times, if you can't, there's no problem that if you can't pray your way through, you can praise your way through. Praise is really hard to do when you're in a, in a trial, isn't it? We have a hard time because we blame God for what we're going through. God, it's your fault. If you hadn't done this, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be going through this. That's true because God allowed it. But when we praise God, thank you, God, because I know that you're going to help me through this problem. I don't have to worry about it. It doesn't matter because I'm going to come out on the other side and I'm going to be stronger. And when we do that, it punches the devil right in the nose. So if you want to make the devil mad, praise God. He hates it. He hates it when you come to church. He hates it when you read God's word. He hates it when you pray. And he especially hates it when you praise God, especially in a problem. If we praise God when we're going through the problems, maybe we wouldn't have so many. I don't know, but I, I, actually I do. I think that if we praise God, then the problems when they came, they wouldn't be so hard on us. Because we're finding all the things in these verses. Let it exalt his name together. The Lord is my shelter. The Lord is my rock. Though I walk the valley of the evil, I will, I will fill room for thou art with me. All those things that we can pray using God's word, and it'll just build up our spirit. And when we're strong on the inside, we're strong on the outside. So we need to be trustworthy. And God trusts us. If he didn't trust us, we wouldn't go through the problem you're going through. Now, I want God to trust me, but I keep saying, God, I don't really need any more of this. But God says, yes, you do, so okay. But we need to quit giving up and giving in. Because when we do that, we'll get through the problem. We'll either get over it, around it, or through it, but we'll make it through the conqueror, the overcomer who lives within us. We can be an overcomer. I want to be an overcomer, don't you? Let's pray. Praise some Father, Lord, I thank you for this day, Lord. And your